Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning and welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. How are you feeling this morning? Wasn't that a tremendous time of worship together? And weren't you excited to see our teens gather up at the front here and just kind of cry out to the Lord in worship? I was so inspired by that. As previously announced, on February the 2nd of this year, Community Christian Church completed 30 years of ministry. 30 years. Do you believe it? That's a pretty big number. We held our very first service uh, just about a mile down the street at Burr Elementary School on February the 2nd, 1992. And for that very first service, we had about 150 people in attendance, mostly friends of ours who had come to show their support. Well, the next week, they went back to their home churches, and we had about 25 or 30 people, just a handful of people. The third week, we got 10 inches of snow on Saturday night, of course, Saturday night, And it was mostly family members and volunteers. And after that service, I thought to myself, what in the world did you do? (laughs) And as you might imagine, the devil had a field day with my mind. He mocked me and told me that we would not survive the first year. But here we are, 30 years later, still going strong. And as Dave, Pastor Dave mentioned just a few moments ago, we are careful, scratch that, we are extremely careful to give all the glory to God because that's where the glory is deserved. Okay, this time around, instead of hosting a 30-year anniversary celebration on just one Sunday, like we did for 25 years, we decided to stretch things out a bit and build an entire series around that number. And to be sure, as Pastor Dave mentioned, as a part of this series, we are going to hold a special anniversary celebration on Sunday, April the 10th. This year, that's the date traditionally known as Palm Sunday, the the Sunday before Easter. And since they celebrated in the Bible way back then, uh, we're going to celebrate as well. But rather than do have a one-and-done service, we're going to keep the party going. We're going to do that all the way until the month of May. And throughout this series, what we're going to do is highlight our ministry philosophy that we have maintained over the past 30 years, namely our five grace core values. Now, we haven't talked about these in a while. We haven't reviewed them. They hang on a a banner in the lobby 24-7 for all to see, but we're going to talk about them over the next several weeks. And so, again, it's been a while, but help me out here. I've given you a little cheat sheet, okay? G, God deserves to be first. Come on, you can read. R, relationships matter. A, acts of service. C, compassion for others, and E, everything belongs to God. How much belongs to God? Okay. Again, these are our five core values. 
and our ministry convictions that we have had since day one. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, has gotten us to the spiritual place we find ourselves today. And over the next several weeks, we're going to consider all five. And for some of you, this is going to be brand new material. For others, it's going to be healthy review. Either way, it's a win-win. Because as believers, how many know you can't do any better than grace? And one other interesting element about this particular series is every message will contain a verse of scripture with the number 30 in it. And for this, we had to get pretty creative and search through the Bible in order to find a match. But the Bible did not disappoint us. And so we're going to be talking about 30 feet and 30 years, 30 cubics, 30 fold, and 30 pieces of silver. All right, let's get started. Are you ready? 30 part one, the G in grace. God deserves to be first. God deserves to be first. And if you've been around Community Christian Church for any length of time, then you know this one is at the very top of the list. Everything that we're going to be talking about in this series is important. It's all essential. We wouldn't be mentioning it or discussing it with you if it wasn't. However, loving God with all of your heart and serving Him with full and complete devotion is a message we have passionately preached for 30 years. And I can still remember almost word for word the very first sermon that I preached 30 years ago. On that occasion, I challenged the brand new church with the message, falling away or following after. That was the title of the message, falling away or following after. How many know that's the only two places you can have, positions you can have in your relationship with God? You're either falling away from God or you're getting a little closer to God. Don't think you can stay the same because you can't. In fact, in his writings, Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy, and he said, Timothy, I promise you, in the last days, many good Christian believers are going to fall away from the faith. They're just going to back out. Some of them are even going to turn their backs on God. And so, Timothy, I don't want that to happen in your church. Continue to fan the flame as often as you can. Fan the flame of full devotion to God. And because of Timothy's commitment to preach God first, his church, the church at Ephesus, was probably the most influential and greatest church of all the churches that Paul planted. In fact, it's very likely that the other six churches listed in the book of Revelation, you know, that passage where it talks about seven churches, we just got done with that series, that those additional six churches were all birthed out of Ephesus. And yes, they allowed the evil and the hate in this world to harden their hearts a little. That's easy to happen. And they fell a little short in the love department. But make no mistake, they were unequaled and unmatched in their devotion to God. And we know that because Jesus said so in his letter to the church at Ephesus. They put God first, 
And as a result, they were an extremely influential and effective church. Okay, at this time, what I'd like to do is read a couple of verses of Scripture, in fact, several passages from the Old Testament book of Numbers. Are you with me still? All right, Numbers chapter 3, beginning with verse 2. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's going to read from the book of Numbers. And I'm ready. Okay. The names of Aaron's sons, he had four of them, were Nadab, the oldest, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These sons of Aaron were anointed and ordained to minister as priests. Then the Lord said to Moses, who said this? Who said it? Okay, then the Lord said to Moses, call forward the tribe of Levi and present them, the tribe of Levi, to Aaron, the priest, he was the high priest, to serve as their assistants. They will serve Aaron and the whole community, performing their sacred duties in and around the tabernacle. They will also maintain all the furnishings of the sacred tent, serving in the tabernacle on behalf of all the Israelites. Assign the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They have been given from among all the people of Israel to serve as their assistants. Appoint Aaron and his sons to carry out the duties of the priesthood. Okay, one other passage now in Numbers chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Record the names of the members of the clans and families of the Kohathite division of the tribe of Levi. List all the men between the ages of 30 and 50 who are eligible to serve in the tabernacle. All right, let me comment on all of this here. In the passages we just read, God was setting up shop or setting up his tabernacle in the wilderness. That was the place the children of Israel, the people of God, were going to live for the next 40 years until they were spiritually prepared and ready to go into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. They wandered around in the wilderness and they camped out in the wilderness for 40 years. And God told Moses, as a part of this whole tabernacle process, I want you to appoint Aaron and Aaron's four sons to the priesthood. And by God's design, the priests were the ones responsible to maintain the tabernacle, or often referred to as the tent of meeting. The priests were going to do all of the work, all of the duties, all of the tasks associated with the tabernacle. And the reason that it was called the tent of meeting at time is because that's exactly where the people would gather, that's the place that they would meet together, and now I'm talking about the entire group of people. Everyone who had just escaped Egypt, the men, the women, and the children, a number that was probably literally in the hundreds of thousands, if not a million people. And so that tabernacle or tent of meeting became their portable church. And once the tabernacle was set up, the Bible tells us that daily and weekly religious activities took place in and around the tabernacle, and the priests 
were in charge of it all. The priests were the ones who presented the evening and the morning sacrifice. The priests burned incense on the altar. They were the only ones who could do that. They made sure that the fire never went out. The priests were in charge of the worship services. They read from the scrolls. They taught the people. They performed the weddings and the funerals. They inspected the lepers and the people that had skin diseases. And in their spare time, the priests enforced some 613 laws that got it passed down to the people through Moses, including the top 10 commandments. And so again, following very specific and detailed orders laid out by God, the campsite was set up the exact same way every time. Whether the priest called together the people for a worship service, a business meeting, or to celebrate a leader's birthday, there was a campsite protocol. And Moses, when he said it's time to get together, they all came and they all sat in the same seats every time. Maybe that's where we get that tradition. <laughs> this morning, what I want to do is I want to take just a couple of moments and I want to show you a map or a picture of that campsite um, process. And everything that you're going to see right now, can we have that slide? Everything you're going to see here right now, uh, all of this data, it's given to us right in the scripture. So uh, it's all laid out uh, in the Old Testament. And so as the children of Israel, as they were making their way uh, through the wilderness, trying to get to the promised land, this was the setup, the camp setup uh, they had each and every time they gathered together. And keep in mind that it was portable. Uh, God moved it around. Remember, he had the cloud. He said, when the cloud is moving, you move the campsite. And so from time to time, it moved. I want you to notice that right in the middle of camp is the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle? Okay, the tabernacle had two separate rooms. On the right-hand side of the tabernacle was the holy place. That's where the priests conducted the majority of their work. On the left-hand side of the tabernacle was the most holy place. King James Version calls it the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, that's where God lived. So God was among his people. He didn't just take them through the wilderness and abandon them. God was with them every step of the way. Remember there was the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and the two angels on top of the mercy seat. This was God's room right here. He was the only one allowed in his room. And there was a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place to keep everyone out. And the only one who was allowed in God's room was Aaron the high priest. And how many times did he go into that room? Once a year on the Day of Atonement. All right, now I want you to see the 12 tribes of Israel as they were laid out around the tabernacle on the outer court. These are the 12 sons of Jacob that formed the nation of Israel. You remember this in the Old Testament, right? Yeah, okay. All right, so we have 12 sons of Jacob. There's, there was Gad, Simeon, Reuben, Zebulun, Issachar, Judah, Naphtali, Asher, 
Dan, Benjamin, Manasseh, and Ephraim. Now, some of you who are familiar with this story, and you've studied it or you've refreshed yourself recently with it, you will immediately note that those names have changed. That those are not the original 12 names. Some of you are probably thinking, well, where's Joseph? Joseph is one of the sons of Jacob. In fact, he was the 11th son. Remember Joseph? He was the spoiled little brat. Dad loved Joseph more than everybody else. Gave him a coat of many colors. And for that reason, his brothers hated him. And they hated so much, they wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, what did they do? They sold him into slavery. And through a series of events, he went down to Egypt. And he basically saved the day for the nation of Israel. He was a hero. And so what happened is God removed Joseph's name from the map, but he then replaced it with his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So it's like God gave Joseph a double portion. Instead of one place at the table, two places. How many know two is better than one? All right. Some of you may say, you know, Jacob's third son, a guy by the name of Levi, they're nowhere to be found on the outer court. They, they went missing as well. Anybody know why? We just read it. God set the tribe of Levi apart to be the priests and to help Aaron and the priests take care of all of the work of the tabernacle. They took ownership of that work. They were responsible for it. And so what God did is he moved Levi from the outer court and he put them here in the inner court. You see that? Yeah. Camp of Levi. These are Levi's three sons, Merari, Gershon, and Kohath. And we just read that in Numbers. Let me read it again. Numbers chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Call forward the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priest to serve as their assistants. They will serve Aaron and the whole community, performing their sacred duties in and around the tabernacle. They will also maintain all the furnishings of the sacred tent, serving in the tabernacle on behalf of all the Israelites. So the Levites became the Levitical priesthood. And they were called to serve the Lord in a way differently than all of the other tribes. God set Levi apart from all the rest. And do you remember at what age the Levites became priests? At age 30. That's what Numbers 4.3 tells us that they served the Lord faithfully between the ages of 30 and 50. At age 51, they could retire. Just kidding. They, they never retired. Numbers 4.3 is our lesson number 130 passage. And the Levites assisted and they served. They were, they, they were trained and they were taught as, as young men, but they became celebrated priests at age 30. Okay, I'd like to look at one final passage here about the Levites in the book of Numbers, and then I hope to bring this all together because some of you are looking at me funny. <laughs> I, I appreciate your patience. We're going somewhere with all this. Numbers chapter 18, verses 23 and 24. 
Only the, Levite, only the Levites may serve at the tabernacle, and they will be held responsible for any offenses against it. I mean, they had a big responsibility. This is a permanent law for you, to be observed from generation to generation. The Levites will receive no allotment of land or no inheritance among the Israelites, because I have given them the Israelites' tithes, which have been presented as sacred offerings to the Lord. This will be the Levite's share, the tithe. That is why I said they would receive no allotment of land among the Israelites. All right. This tabernacle or campsite setup, it was in play for 40 years. And after the 40 years, after the children of Israel had completed 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, they began to make their way to the land of Canaan. That was the land that God had promised them about 700 years earlier. He promised a, a, a forefather by the name of Abraham. Remember him? God said, Abraham, look, as far as the eye can see, all this land I will give to you and to your descendants. And after the 40 years of desert living under the leadership of Joshua now, because Moses had died and Joshua took over, the children of Israel began to make their way into the land of promise. And God blessed them as they went. God was with them every step of the way, and God fought for them. And they were very successful. And as they conquered, they divided the land among them. And every single tribe, all of the families that you saw listed on the outer courts, they all received a healthy inheritance. And in addition to an inheritance of land, they also shared some of the spoils from the battle and from the wars. Enough money for every family to build a house, to have a nice area for growing crops and for raising herds and cattle, and even to own a business. And all of these families, hundreds of thousands of people, if not a million, they were handed all of this stuff on a silver platter by their God. God provided this for them because he was the one who went before them as they were fighting all of these other nations and cities in the land of Canaan. Now, the scripture tells us the only tribe that did not get an inheritance, absolutely no allotment of land, was the tribe of Levi. You know how much Levi got? Nothing to call their own. Zero. None of the spoils of battle, no land, no money. And that's because, as we read earlier, the Levites were called out. They were set apart. They were called to do the work of the Lord, not only in the wilderness, but then in the promised land as well. They were called to the ministry. And the living quarters that they needed... The food and the supplies and the clothing and everything else that was required to exist and to live, that was provided for them by the other 12 tribes. In fact, God required the other 12 tribes to give a tithe or a tenth of everything they had to the Levites. So a tenth of their increase, a tenth of their crops, a tenth of their herds, a tenth of the profits on their businesses. That's how the Levites 
lived. And so the Levites, they didn't have to maintain a house. They didn't have to work the fields, go to a secular job, or hold down any kind of a business requirement. The Levites, they didn't have to worry about mortgage payments, or car insurance, or health care headaches, or even babysitting fees. That was all handled by the 12 tribe tithe. And again, by God's design, without all of the outside noise and all of the distractions, the Levites could devote 100% of their efforts and their attention to the work of the Lord. The Levites could do what God had required them to do because they didn't have all of these other outside activities to be involved in. The Levites were called out by God. The Levites surrendered their lives to the Lord God. You see, to a Levite priest, God wasn't just a spoke on the wheel. He was the hub. God was the focal point, the center of all of life's existence. The Levites were totally devoted, totally committed to the Lord God. Because the way God set it all up, they didn't have all of these other pressing issues and stressful things that they needed to be involved in. Now, these days, I think that a lot of us are content with engaging God in a game of musical chairs. And I know we have good intentions. Please understand me when I say that. I know that we want to do our best for God. But you know what happens sometimes is when we look at our priority list, I'm sure that everybody has at least one chair with God's name on it. But we get running around those chairs so fast that sometimes when the music stops, we get bumped out of our spiritual seat. I mean, how many times, even as early as this year, since the beginning of this year, how many times have you tried to move God up the ladder on your priority list? Only to find that with all of the activities and all of the other events and everything that you have going on, they just seem to get in the way. Anybody? I learned a long time ago, good intention is not good enough. Good intention doesn't get the job done. What we have to come to grips with is the truth of the concept that God deserves to be first. He deserves it. He has earned that spot. With all that he has done for us and all that he's provided for us, he is worthy of first place. In fact, not only does he deserve it, not only has he laid claim to it, but how many know he demands it? It's what he expects. For the people of God, it's not an option. It's what the scripture teaches. It's, it's what we were singing about all morning. 
Those are the lyrics of the songs that we were singing to the Lord as we worshipped him and said, we want to re-surrender to you, Lord. We want to lay it all down. We want to give it to you. In Matthew chapter 22, a passage that we have been talking about for years and years, when Jesus was asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? Not just the greatest commandment, not just the most essential or most important, but the first commandment. Jesus said the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. How many know the only way to do that is by the grace of God? But the scripture tells us his grace is sufficient for us. That means with God's grace and with God's help, we can get there. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, I get that. And this is not the first time that I heard that God should be a top priority in my life. I'm trying to do that. And I have a desire to do that. That's what I want to do. Some things get in the way, but it is a pressing issue in my life. I want to put God first. So I get that part of it. But what I don't understand is all of the Levite stuff that you talked about earlier. Why in the world did you spend so much time in this message talking to us about an Old Testament, outdated, and obsolete priesthood? How I many know I set you up with that question? Listen to what Peter had to say about the same subject in the New Testament. For those of you who are thinking, well, you know, what, what's up with this Levitical priesthood stuff? Why are we talking about that? What, what does it have to do with anything? 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A what? In the New Testament. A holy priesthood. That's you and me. Offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Check out who you are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, not just a priesthood, you're royal, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful or marvelous light. That's us. We've been called out of darkness, right? The message says it this way. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work. We're called to be priests, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you in your life. Why did I go through all those verses about the priests? Because this is us. It's the church today. We are called to be holy priests of God, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, surrendering our lives to him with a God-first attitude. And the scripture goes on to say that we have a story to tell. We have a testimony. Friends, I shudder to think what my life would be if I would even have a life without God. My life was going in a totally different direction when God intercepted me and open my heart to his salvation story. The world today needs to hear how God changed our lives. 
And when you read through the Old Testament carefully and you study the priesthood and all that God wrote out on the page of Scripture for our benefit, that's when you will discover that the priest had one main objective or one main responsibility. And, and please don't misunderstand me. They were busy people. Uh, they had a lot of work to do and they worked hard. There were many, many activities that the priests were engaged in and involved in on a daily basis. But they had one main responsibility. One assignment that superseded all the rest. Anyone have any idea what that might be? You want me to tell you? Anyone other than Candy? Here it is. Serve the needs of the high priest. I'm going to say it again, because we read it in the verses earlier. The, the Levite priests, with all of their responsibilities and everything that they were given to do, they were called to serve the needs of the high priest, to attend to the high priest's needs. In fact, that's what brought them the greatest honor. That's what caused them to feel the most satisfied is when the high priest called for them. That meant if a, if a Levitical priest woke up in the morning and he had a long list of duties, his to-do list was a mile long. Let's say it was his turn to bake showbread or chop wood for the altar or hold a baby dedication or the miscellaneous tasks that he had. If he had all of that work to do and he knew he didn't have a lot of time to do it, if the high priest summoned him, he was to drop everything else that he was doing and immediately cater to the needs of the high priest. For a Levitical priest, his number one assignment was to meet the needs of the high priest. Do you have any idea how many times Jesus is referenced in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament as our high priest? over 20 times. And not just our high priest, our what? Our great high priest. Hebrews 4.14. Jesus is our great high priest, and as his royal priesthood, our number one responsibility is to minister to his needs. And that statement I just made was worth you getting here today or you tuning in. This is us. As the New Testament priesthood, one objective, one assignment, one set of instructions, meet the needs of the high priest, everything else falls short of that assignment. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul wrote, and I close with this, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Paul's writings are filled with instructions on how to please God. And he says, We've wrote to, we wrote to you, we, we told you how to live your life in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Paul says, I want to commend you, you're living that way. Now, we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. 
That word sanctified or sanctification, it sounds like a big word, like an important word. It really has a simple meaning. It means set apart, just like the Levite priest. Called to live your life differently than everyone else. And Paul said, I instructed you in this. I taught you how to live for Jesus, and many of you are doing it. And now what I'm appealing to you to do, what I'm asking you is to do it more and more. Not less and less. You know, as believers, sometimes we think we can do less. Paul says, now's the time to surrender your life to the high priest and do it more and more. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I'm going to ask you to give me just a few more moments here this morning as you're thinking about some of the things that I said in a moment or two, we're going to close out our service with one of my favorite songs. It has been for the last couple of years. The song is called Build My Life. The message of the song, the lyrics of the song, it embodies and personifies pretty much everything that we've been talking about so far this morning. But just before we sing that song together, before we close out our time together, I'd like to provide an opportunity for you to experience a special spiritual moment with God right now, right here. Not next week, not next month. In this service, right now. And we've been depending upon the Lord to create an atmosphere where your heart would be open and prepared to do that. If you've never surrendered your life fully to God, and you know what I'm talking about, you might attend church, you might know what the Bible says about things, but you never bowed your knee at the cross and declared the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You never turned your life over to him, repenting of your sins and saying, I want Jesus to be my Lord. Or if you have done that, and for one reason or another, you've slipped a little from the faith, and you're not in the spiritual place that you know you should be, the place that you once were. And you would like to make a fresh commitment to the Lord today. And you, you would like to begin this series by saying, you know what, I'm moving God up the chain and up the ladder a little bit. And I need the grace of God in order to make that happen. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to just lift your hand for a moment. Hold it up. Appreciate your hands. And put it back down. Those of you who are watching online, following us online, there's a little box or a link that you can click onto so that you can participate. I want to put God first in my life. I want to stop playing the musical chair game with God and watching him get bumped out of first place, out of second place, and all the way down to the bottom at times. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you, Lord, how you create an opportunity for us to always take a step towards you. And I'm so thankful, Lord, for those who have raised their hands we look at hands, Lord. You look at hearts. You know every heart here. 
And Lord, we're surrendering again. We want you to be in that place, Lord. The place you belong, the place you deserve, the place that we have in our hearts for you to be. And unfortunately, we live in this world and we can't be like the Old Testament priesthood where they didn't have a lot of responsibilities. We need to go to work. We have to maintain our homes and pay our bills. But Lord, by the grace of God, you can cause our desire for you to be the most pressing assignment and the most important responsibility in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for those that responded to you today, for those who are surrendering for the very first time, repenting of their sins. Thank you, Lord, for embracing them and bringing them into the family of God. Minister, Lord, in these closing moments, we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. In the book of Philippians, I think it's chapter 3, could be chapter 2. I think it's 3. Paul the Apostle, he reads his resume. And it's pretty impressive. He said he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Really good Jewish stock, a Hebrew of all Hebrews, a Pharisee. And he had a long list of accomplishments. He was an extremely successful man. But he tells us in Philippians that when he was arrested by the Spirit of God and came to know Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior, all of those accomplishments were like garbage. He uses a stronger word, but I'll just use that word, garbage. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, I want to live for him. I've been living for myself. I've been doing other things. I want to live for the great high priest. I want to live for Jesus. You know, this song, it's one of those rare songs where every word is, is a blessing. I love every word to this song. It's talking about building your life on God's love building on his foundation, trusting in him, not being shaken, all of those great things. But the one line in that song that I love so much, it says, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live for him. That's what Paul said. I want to live for him. Not just know him, not just attend church and sometimes volunteer, sometimes give a little when there's a need. I want to live my life for him. I pray that's your desire this morning I pray that's your focus that God becomes the hub and not just a spoke thank you so much for being with us today thank you for joining us you are a blessing to this congregation and to this church we love you we pray God's blessing over you and your family have a great day